You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The subtitle of this podcast is An Actor's Journey. But for this episode, it's going to focus primarily on the singer's journey. Sally Wilford is a Broadway actress and an amazing vocalist who understands the rigors and demands of performing at the top of her game. You know, we're small muscle athletes, so, you know, it's not just what's in our throat. It's our neck, and it's our feet, and it's our arms, and it's how much sleep are we getting, and did I have, did I just have two glasses of wine, or did I have three? Hello, I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, actor, singer, and host of Why I'll Never Make It, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts where fellow creatives share with us the realities of a career in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can sign up for the Win Me newsletter. It's a monthly email that lets you know of upcoming guests, fills you in on members-only episodes, and gives you a peek behind the curtain of this podcast. So sign up today at whyillnevermakeit.com. No matter the artistic endeavor, there is a struggle not only with the medium itself, that means of expression, whether it's vocal, visual, or physical, but there is also the struggle with others. Their approval or expectation, and especially their criticism. In part one of my conversation with Sally Wilford, she and I discussed the difficulties, injuries, and self-doubts she's endured. Those little voices can sometimes get implanted in you. You know, at some point along this journey, you have to echo, whose voice is that? Whose voice is that saying I can't? That shouldn't be mine, but it's somebody else's that I allowed to just plant a little seed in there. And you have to, you know, always pick it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. So not helpful. I first met Sally when we were doing Light in the Piazza at Merry-Go-Round Playhouse in Auburn, New York. The show itself is a fantastic show, a difficult show. Adam Gettle composed that music, and it is not easy music. Some of the lyrics are in Italian, and we had an absolutely wonderful cast that took that musical and really made it something special. A wonderful, wonderful production of it. And Sally was just someone who knocked it out of the park each and every night. And you could tell from the ease with which she carried herself both on stage and off stage that 
Singing was something that was just inside of her. It was a part of who she was and how she carried herself. But just because it looked easy doesn't mean that she wasn't working as hard as anyone on that stage to create the character and to sing that music as beautifully as possible. Because unlike other jobs like accounting, engineering, or even medicine, singing is uniquely personal, expressing parts of ourselves that may go unspoken or unknown at any other time except through the music and lyrics that we bring to the stage. But when Sally was a kid and a teenager, singing was something that she did in private, a secret enjoyment just for herself. As she slowly began to let others hear it, though, it changed not only that enjoyment, but gave her added purpose as well. You know, when I sing, it is so connected to my soul and to my heart. And it's a very, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a very vulnerable um, experience, too. And so at that point... When at that age, which I was probably 15, if anyone had said or critiqued it, I was just, I was so protecting myself because I, I loved what this was and I didn't want anyone to hurt it or me. And so it was really self-protection, I think. And then when I started realizing that when I did open my mouth and whatever was getting it just spilled out, I mean, I was, it was a natural experience for me. And I was, um, I worked really hard and I've always worked really hard to develop it, but it was definitely something that was given to me. It was just God given truly. And so when I did start expressing that, um, and I saw how people would react and I realized, Oh, I can, this, this is affecting people. This is actually bigger than I am. It would be a shame for me to prevent anyone from hearing this. I should be giving this. This is actually not mine. This is something for me to give. And, you know, I still protect it in a lot of ways, but I really feel that it's something that I need to share. I would say that that's one thing for me that the pandemic has really stifled. I've almost felt a distance from it because of the physical distance. I've also felt an emotional distance from it. Have you gone through any of that? Yeah, I do. I think it's so, I don't, I'm not, judgmental is the wrong word, but you sort of get desensitized. You're like, oh, what is special? And so it, it, sometimes I get frustrated with that, that I just, I, I need to just sit and lay on the couch and listen to an entire album and listen to the entire piece so that I can get a sense of what I'm drawn to, what I'm not drawn to. And when it comes to the scores and, and specifically composers, in looking through your resume, it seems like two kind of stick out, and that would be William Finn and Stephen Sondheim. Would you say that those are two big influences on you as a singer? Absolutely. Yes. In college, I got the Sondheim bug and, you know, they say you get it or you don't get it. And I got it. And um, I was absolutely obsessed with every single show. And, oh gosh, I just, I, I dreamed of, you know, one day singing, being in a Sondheim show. And I was in Assassins, but it was prior to that, that I met him for the first time. Um, I was doing a live industrial in um, San Francisco 
with a young director by the name of Scott Ellis. And I was, I'm, I'm also, when I look back in my career too, and I, I didn't know a thing about him. Didn't know anything. I would just be like, okay, I got a job. Let's go. And it was a non-singing job. And at the time, I think Scott was doing And the World Goes Round and it was, it had gotten all this, you know, notoriety and, and mention and, and, um, I was clue-free. I just didn't even know. So there I am making friends with them. We had a blast for two weeks in San Francisco and just became pals. He's like, you're a singer? And I'm like, I'm a really good singer. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not just a singer. (laughs) No, no. I'm good. And, you know, he was probably like, "Mm -hmm, okay, sure. But we got back to New York and he said, hey, listen, um, called me and said, I'm doing this thing and, you know, there's probably not much money in it, but, um, you know, you said you sing and I'm just looking for somebody. It's a, it's a Carnegie Hall and I'm looking for somebody to sing backup for Liza Minnelli. <laughs> That's all. I, and I was like, uh, 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 do I have to audition? He's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take your word for it. Oh. So I show up in a rehearsal room at Carnegie Hall and he's like, oh, you know, gave me a hug. He's like, hi, this is our choreographer, Susan Stroman. I was like, hi, nice to meet you. And, and he was like, and this is the musical director, Paul Gemignani. I'm like, great to meet you. Had no idea who any of these people were because I just wasn't, I was a dingbat. And so he's like, this is Liza Minnelli. And so I'm learning this stuff. And then they saw, oh, she's, she's got chops. And so then Gemignani's like, come over here. You're going to sing back up for um, Madeline Kahn in this love land. And then I realized that I turn around. I'm like, oh, Stephen Sondheim, what was happening? What is this? And it was the Sondheim tribute, tribute to Carnegie Hall. Wow. So I did that. And then because of Scott, like Scott gave me my, he actually gave me the, the beginning of my, of my career. He really gave me the, a great gift. And I ended up doing, um, uh, the adventures of Tom Sawyer with him. And I think I did the beginning of uh, the first readings of steel pier and that was David loud. So I met David loud as well. So I met all these people, all of whom are just so near and dear to me. And I also had worked, this is how this business is so interesting, but I had done a reading. Joe Mantello was just starting to direct and I did this reading of Don Juan DeMarco. I don't think it ever really went anywhere. I don't think it did, but I knew Joe then after that. So then fast forward, there were auditions for assassins and I got that call from my agent about an audition. And I sometimes will have this thing weird, uh, like sixth sense that I'll say, I'm going to do that show. Like literally before I've auditioned. And then I'll be like, don't be silly. You're not going to get that show. But then I went in and then I call back after call back and Sanhai was there and Joe was there and Geminiani and, and I booked the job. I couldn't believe I booked this job. And it was I, like, pinch me. It was just one of the most amazing experiences. And then 9-11 happened. It had to be canceled. Oh, right, right. And, um, but then he said, you know, we will do this when the climate feels right. So I think it was a couple years later that we ended up doing it. And it was just such an amazing production. And the people in it were incredible and every day was just such a joy and Sondheim loved the show he he and John Weidman were just so happy to have it on Broadway and he they were there with us all the time and it was just one of those amazing experiences and then Bill Finn I just auditioned for him for a regional, if his Barrington stage is a production of Elegies that he had done very briefly. 
And Elegies was something that he wrote right after his beloved mother passed away. And I did book that job. So we just kind of hit it off right away in that, in those moments of the first uh, rehearsals up at Barrington. And then that started a, a very, uh, to this day, I still have a, he's one of my dearest friends. He and Sondheim, even though they both went to Williams, they have some similarities there. They couldn't be more opposite of each other. Like Sondheim is so cerebral to me and, and his lyrics and his music is sophisticated and intricate and you hear something new every time. And Bill's is equally as interesting that he writes about the human condition in a very, like, he just spits it out there. The form, the rhyming, his way of composing is equally as skilled but it's very from the heart. He just kind of brings it all out from the heart. But obviously, despite knowing you were going to get assassins, there are obviously those other auditions that, that don't go your way. And what have you found keeps you going through the many times you don't make it to the few times when you do? Therapy. personal therapy man it's like when you have those oh god when you have those blows where you are literally lying on your living room floor sobbing as if you've just you know lost a child god forbid but yeah i just i had to get a hold of myself personally with therapy to figure out how to handle the knocks and the losses because that's the majority of the time <laughs> you know is that we we miss more than we hit and how to gracefully take those hits and not take it personally you know you we're in a business where we have to put our heart out there we have to protect your heart but you have to put yourself all in but you also have to keep some reserve. You want to look authentic, but then you want to like, how do you balance all of that? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's a constant juggling act. It's constant. And, and I have to be me. I had to figure out like, I am me and I can't hide that, but I have to find a way to preserve me while still giving all of me. And that took a lot of time. What was that way that you found that you could balance both? I I have really good friends, and a lot of times we never talk about theater. Like, rarely do we talk about show business. We talk about everything under the sun. But I also do have very, very dear friends that if you, if something has not gone your way, they're there for you. I can lean on them, and I can say you know, all I can say all this, this scary stuff, like I'm quitting. That's it. I'm not doing this ever again. I hate this business. I never even wanted to do it in the first place. You know, all those things that you go the other side, which you really don't mean in the moment, but you're just needing to get it out. So I think that that's like my way of getting through it. I also, um, I've really tried to over the years, give over to the fact that I am where I should be. I know I, I, even though I think I, I needed that show a lot of times I'm needed, I'm needed not to be there so I could be someplace else. I don't understand it in the moment, but then something else will come along and you're like, Oh, okay. Okay. So I should not, if had I been doing that, honestly, 
there was something when I met Bill Finn, there was something else that I had turned down. And had I not turned that other thing down, I would never have met Bill. It's all about timing, right place, right time. Yeah, right place, right time. So, yeah, so I, I think that it, it takes that balance and you try your best to keep an ego out of it. It's hard, very hard. Now, you and I worked together in Light in the Piazza, so I'd certainly know you not only on stage but off stage and and you're right we would we would cut up we would do this crazy stupid things oh outside of rehearsal and yes. so it really is it really is good to to have those moments where you're not on you know you're not having to perform you're not having to think about theater or strategize this or think about that it's it's good to just have uh, have freedom absolutely and a balance of real life and i try not to make this business all consuming. I think that's important. I get, I, I feel not sorry for it, but I feel badly for people who that's all there is. And there's all, the only thing I want to talk about is like war stories about when I did whatever show at this date. And, you know, sometimes those stories are awesome, but then other times you're like, yeah, but what, who are you? What, who are you as a person? <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. I want, I, I'm interested in that person too. And, and people do this in their playbill bios. It'll just be this list of all italicized words. And I'm like, great, you've done all those shows, but who are you? Like, like, just where were you born? Or like a little sentence about some some little quirk, some little thing that you enjoy doing that isn't being on stage. I I, I think it's it's one of those things where when I've met those people that all they do is is sing, all they do is perform, all they do is is they're on, all they do is talk about this show or or oh, oh did you hear the latest recording? And it's great to be up on those things, but when that's all a person is, I kind of get disconnected. That's not who I, I want to be around. Yeah, I agree. And teaching, I started teaching when I was in the middle of Assassins, actually. Someone in that cast said, hey, do you teach? And I was like, I think I was like walking on stage and I was like, yeah. And I was like, what did I just say? <laughs> um, and that actually started something that gives me a great deal of balance. I really love um, teaching. And at the time that Assassins was happening, my voice teacher, Donald was passing away. So it was a way for us to, he was in the actor's fun home and I would go out there every chance I could. And I would, you know, wheel him up to the piano and I'd take a lesson with him or I would, we would just talk. And so it became this beautiful addition to my life. And I also like to help people. I also enjoy, I had a vocal injury really early on in, in college, and I worked really hard to get through that vocal injury. And so I, I never listen to singers unless they want me to listen to them. But if they do, then I can listen to, you know, I look for whatever tension, I hear what's going on. And I just always was interested in that. And so then the, it just kind of came naturally. And so I can't do either I have to do both, which is great. Like when I'm performing, I also enjoy teaching. And when I'm teaching, I also am well aware of like, I, I, I have to be performing. So it, they go hand in hand to me. And I learn about singing from teaching and vice versa. You learn so much. What was the injury? How did, how did that come about? I have a weird thing that <laughs> that when I get threatened emotionally. It's a weird thing that I've figured out. Um, something happens and it, it, anyway, it's just like, if somebody 
goes at me or if something happens, um, I will shut. The first thing that I protect is this. And it's like, it goes into like a freeze position and it's, and it will have a little presentation of like a little bump on my cord. I'll, you know, go back into vocal therapy and all of this, but I was in college, I was doing a production of working and it was a very high stress situation. And there was something that happened that I was like, Oh gosh, that they kind of just attacked me and I just stopped. So then because of my holding and tightening, it created a little place on my cord. So I just had to do, I never had surgery. I've never had surgery, but I had to take time and, and rest. And I actually had to withdraw from the show. Um, oh, because wow. I just was like, there's no singing through it. There was, there was nothing. I had to shut up. I had to do vocal therapy and, and, uh, a lot of fear. I was so scared that it would never work again, but it did. And then I was fascinated by that. And then it happened again, like, I don't know how many years later. And, um, I thought, son of a gun, like, what is this? And I really wanted to get to the bottom of it and how to prevent that. And so that took me on that journey of then beginning to teach. It is really interesting how, you know, certainly we know about stress and tension and how this can affect our lives in general, but emotional impact on our voice and how we sing and perform, they really are interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, eight shows a week is no joke. Yeah. And roles that I play tend to be like huge things. And I have a, a very serious regimen uh, when I approach a role and I want it to be not only vocally healthy, but I want to be vocally healthy enough that I can forget about it. I don't want to have to think about it. I want to be able to f- focus on the character. You know, if I'm in any way having sort of a negative thought anywhere, that has to be investigated immediately and get, I have to get rid of that. But eight shows a week you know, we're small muscle athletes. So, you know, it's not just what's in our throat, it's our neck and it's our feet and it's our arms and it's how much sleep are we getting? And did I have, Mm -hmm. did I just have two glasses of wine or did I have three, you know, or did I eat too late at night? And then did I, am I working out enough? Like, I think it's interesting, you know, most lay people think, oh, you just work a couple hours a night and (laughs) you know, your day starts real early in the morning. The minute you wake up and you go, and if that doesn't happen and you're like, and it's scratchy, you're like, oh shit, oh shit, it's gone for the day. Oh my God, I'm going to obsess about it for the day. Oh my God. Right, right. You start the hot tea, you start the steam, you're, yes. you're, you're getting everything. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to get this back. I got to get go it to back. spin class. I got to open up my lungs. What's happening? I got to stretch. No, no, no. I was going to have lunch with you, but I can't talk. Sorry, I can't talk. And you, bec- I become like the neurotic I'm one. Mute. Yes, I become neurotic, but but yeah, in working with you in like the Piazza, I I can see that kind of mental and physical preparation that you did showing up on stage and how important that can be to really have freedom on stage because you want kind of to go through all those stops and starts and stresses and tensions. You want all that to kind of happen beforehand so that when performance, when that stage time comes, you are free. You are, you are let loose and you can really let what you've been working on shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure your approach is probably similar to mine, but I, I'm not like an add water kind of actor. I have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig 
down huge trenches to get to the, what I feel is the bottom of the, the core of that character. And it really takes such a long time, but it has to be, um, in conjunction with you feel the emotion. So how does that emotion, you have to balance that with the, the vocal part of it, you, whatever emotion, whatever you're doing to accommodate what the actor is saying and what they need to achieve has to be balanced with the voice. I hate when I hear people who are in a scene and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm singing. You're like, I think it should be from one to the other. And it should just move very freely from one to the other. That this, the singing, it can come directly from the emotion in an acting scene. We shouldn't ever have a gap there. And that is super important to me. So I work really, really, really hard to become immersed in that character um, from the inside out so that then I can really feel her and her voice. Um, uh, she, she actually, it begins to become such a part of me that I forget where I end and she begins. Mm. That's like the ultimate of what I strive for. And that process, the, the voice that you have has led you to wonderful successes. The stages that you've gotten to perform on, the people you've gotten to be with, uh, you know, Broadway productions and everything. And so has your definition of success changed? Like what you go for, has that changed over time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot. You know, I just had such a dream of like, you know, I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to be on Broadway didn't have, it wasn't like a super duper specific dream other than I want to be on Broadway. Um, and, um, and then I think the thing that I realized the, the first show I did with King David and, um, I remember I was like, Oh, I'm going to be on Broadway. It's my dream. And, and I remember thinking, huh? Oh, this is just like every other theater. This is just every other theater. It's just a bigger, every other theater. Right. And, um, and then it becomes about the work. And so my, the success, I I achieved that and to be on Broadway, but then I wanted to, um, um, uh, do a principal part in a Broadway or national tour. And, you know, you have those successes along the way. Um, And then I think my shift in the idea of success was that I wanted to feel that whatever I was doing felt authentically me. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do shows that I didn't really want to do. Like I might book a show, um, but then I'd say, I don't feel this. I don't feel this is what I want to be doing. And I just needed to stay true to myself. Did that ever limit what you went out for? Um, yeah, there were just times that I, 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 yeah. And, you know, I had agents are like, yeah, I'm going to talk you into this. I am going to talk you into this. And I was like, okay, but I don't, I really don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not ready for that. I don't, what was the one, um, Carlotta and Phantom. And I just was like, I know what that takes to play her and to sing those high E's. And I just felt like, and at the time I felt that I was a little too young. And also my voice has always been this very clean, youthful 
sound. And I just knew if I try for me, for my voice, that that would take a lot of training. Like if I was going to do Carlotta, I would like to work on that for a good amount of time to get that in my body. And I just felt like I was maybe not old enough at the time. I think that probably came around maybe in my late thirties. And I was like, Oh God, you know, but then where do you go? Because there you, you can develop yourself and vocally to do that role that sometimes you can't come back from that your voice is going to adapt in a way. And I just thought, I don't want to do that. And I, I knew I was, I was like, am I crazy here? Like it's a Broadway show to do this thing. But I was like, I'm going to give me another five years and let's, let's see how that goes. But so I don't know if it necessarily limited me. I think that I was learning more and more about what I wanted and also knowing myself, like I know what I can bring to the table and people enjoy that and like that. And I also knew the things that I didn't necessarily want to do. I I just didn't want to do those things. Yeah. You'd mentioned that we're a small muscle athlete and I think it's similar to the training that you do to sprint a hundred yards is different from the training to run a marathon there. You're both running, but it's, it's a very different style, very different. And so each show requires us to do different things. And some of it, it it can, you know, be within our wheelhouse and we're using different muscles or different parts of our ability, but then some of it is outside of what we normally do. And it would take a drastic change in our prep in order to accomplish it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And also I, you know, I, I enjoy, um, doing straight plays equally as much as musicals. And so my approach to musicals oftentimes is similar to what I'm doing when I prepare for a play. And I also wanted to leave myself available to have the balance of both of those worlds too. Um, and to develop that and to listen to my gut that was saying, no, don't go, you know, it's okay if you say, no, you're not interested in this, but make sure you're working towards something else. And initially, Sally was working towards something else. We've talked a lot about singing so far and vocal technique and expression. However, Sally's love of music didn't show itself through her voice at first, but rather through her fingers playing piano. I was a piano player my whole life. Um, That's what I really thought that I would be doing in some capacity, whether I was going to be an accompanist or if that would have expanded to conducting or I'm not really sure, but I just knew that I had um, a passion for piano and music. And I was the pianist who was playing for like our, I was in the chorus in high school and, but I was the pianist who who is good enough to play for everybody. So a lot of times I was behind the keys. Um, so I knew that I could sing, but it wasn't something that I put first. I, it wasn't something I put forward, but there was a, um, I'm from outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. And in Cincinnati, there was this vocal competition called the Forest Airs Vocal Scholarship. And I pl- was playing the piano for a few of my friends who were auditioning for the scholarship. 
then something happened and they, the, the judges said, would you be available to play for some other people? And I said, sure. So I hung around and I was like sight reading people's stuff as they brought it in. And there was like, um, some sort of a break in action. And one of the judges said, Hey, why don't you, why don't you play us and play and sing us a little tune? And I was like, uh, and I had secretly been singing at home and playing, but I would never let anyone hear me. And, um, and I busted out this Elton John tune <laughs> and I got the vocal scholarship. <laughs> so wait, there was just one scholarship. There was, uh, there were actually, I think there were six for the whole Cincinnati area, but I got one of the six. <laughs> My friends were not very happy with me. You know, they were like, oh, you bitch. Um, Honestly, before all of this, when I would sing at home and very privately sing and, and play the piano for myself, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> and I would cry and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so good. But I just didn't think that that was something that I could do. <laughs> True story. And, um, and I started listening to everything I could get my hands on, every score of every musical I'd listen to the soundtrack and then the touring companies would come through Cincinnati and I saw a chorus line and that completely changed my life. Now, interesting because that is a, it's a dancer show. I but, know. So what about that hit you as a singer? It was the sentiment. It was the struggle of an artist and that maybe you might be good enough to be picked and, you know, who am I an anyway? Am I my resume? And God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. And then there was something about the character of Maggie that I felt really pulled to. I just got really pulled by the characters. I, I, I became invested in watching the characters. The music I thought was great. The dancing was spectacular, but it was that I was connected. I, I got sucked in by these stories and I was fascinated by the storytelling and it sort of blew my mind that that was all happening at once. Yeah, I think Chorus Line really encapsulates the wide spectrum of just the acting, singing, performing profession. But also, I think it also is, is a personal journey that each of us at one point in time are that person. You know, we've been the person just starting out from the person who's the star, who's, you know, maintaining a certain level and everything in between. Yeah. And it is that journey that we're all on trying to kind of find our place. Yeah, and also the daring, to be daring enough to say, could I possibly? Is that something I could do? I went to a very small, I'm from a very small town, one traffic light at the time. I had 90 people, I think, in my graduating class. Um, I went to school with every single one of those people from kindergarten through senior year. Like there was, you knew everybody. So there wasn't anyone, there wasn't a role model for me in that regard um, for me to say, oh, I want to do what they did, that of a contemporary or even, you know, a generation ahead of me or something that I could follow in their footsteps. I didn't know what that looked like. And I also had um, a guidance counselors and, and whatnot that were like, you, you can't do that. that. That's not a profession. When I started making noise about really? I wanted to do this, yeah, there was one specific person that was like, mm, "That's not a legitimate. You have to you have to pick a real career." Wow! And I thought, oh. and I I remember going home and I think I said to my folks, "I was like, you said I could do anything I wanted with my life, and they're telling me that I can't, you know." And you know, mom thought it was absurd. She was like, "Do it, you know, do follow your dreams. This is what you want to do. Do it." Like they always encouraged me.
In our final five episode, Sally also talks about mentors, teachers of hers that encouraged her love of singing and helped her build a foundation upon which she could grow her vocal gifts. And you can hear that bonus episode by joining the podcast as a WinMe producer. It gives you bonus episodes each and every week that give a little more insight and story behind each of the guests that come on the podcast. You can learn more about the final five episodes and other bonus content by going to join.whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, thank you for joining me and Sally for part one of our conversation. Don't forget, part two is coming up in just a couple of days. And she and I will be paying special tribute to a dear friend of hers, Rebecca Luker. This beautiful and talented Broadway actress who originated roles in The Secret Garden and Mary Poppins passed away in December of 2020. We both had the honor and privilege of working with her, and we not only share those stories, but we talk about the last project that Rebecca worked on with Sally, a duet album of classic Broadway show tunes and pop music. It is a warm and fitting tribute to a leading lady of the stage. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of all things recording, editing, and producing. Music in this episode was provided by a variety of artists who you'll find in the show notes. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as Women's History Month continues here on Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.